Let's go! Welcome. Welcome to Max's Minutes, hosted by Max Crowley, bringing you a mix of all things real estate, live from New York City. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Max's Minutes. Today, I have with me two very special guests, Alex Cohen at Alex F. Cohen and Simon McGowan at the underscore design underscore design agent on Instagram. Um, Alex and Simon are both fellow agents here at Compass, but with some unique specialties. Uh, Alex joined Compass um, after over 19 years in the commercial uh, real estate industry, working with Kirshner Wakefield and Core. Um, Alex has a unique background in urban planning, which comes in very handy as he consults and advises a lot of his clients and as well as brokers them on the deal. Um, Simon, on the other hand, comes from a background in architecture. He holds a degree in architecture from Columbia and saw the advantage of getting his real estate license and how he could not only just help his clients buy the place, but also design it and build it out and really make their dream home or dream space. Um, Simon is also the co-founder and principal of CoOffice, which is a VR-based architecture firm, which we will touch on in a little bit. Um, before we go into sort of the background of the venue of where we are and uh, the neighborhood in Harlem, um, I'll let you guys maybe touch on something that maybe I missed or um, anything you want to add to the point. I mean, Alex, maybe you want to start your background on coming into commercial at Compass. A residential firm by, <laughs> by nature, but um, yeah. Well, I, I came to Compass because a, a good part of my business has always been about collaborating, and I've always collaborated with a lot of residential brokers to help their clients with their commercial needs. And I saw Compass's growth and uh, expansion and bringing in so many amazing brokers uh, around New York and now around the country as a real opportunity to grow from. Yeah, absolutely. And Simon, I mean, you... You, you were an architecture by you know by design, no no pun intended there. But I mean, um, you kind of came to Compass and spearheaded the Harlem office a little bit. You know, how did you kind of find your way into this space? Um, I know you mentioned initially when we talked that design really was spearheaded a lot of it. But you maybe you can elaborate on that a little bit more. Yeah, uh, I was a young practitioner, um, fresh out of working professionally at other larger companies and. My business partner, David, and I decided to start a, a firm here in Harlem about five years ago. And uh, our third client was a real estate agent. Just happened to be that way. We were you know, a young firm trying to find clients, so we figured if we don't know or have a big enough network, who does? Who's, who's the first line of communication to somebody who's looking to buy a home or start a business? It's not going to be an architect, usually, or even a contractor. It's going to be a real estate agent. So we kind of had that insight to, to meet up with and talk with um, real estate agents uh, met a local guy here, John McGinnis, who had an independent practice, and um, designed his office, uh, found a way to convince him to let us uh, move in with him. <laughs> uh, we drank the Kool-Aid and became yep. agents, and uh, you know, the past, uh, it's over. It's uh, uh, four years ago, or no, three years ago, he um, joined Compass, mm -hmm. and it's been awesome to be part of the Compass family and, yeah. and uh, grow with the company as well. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, to... Alex's point, sort of that collaboration where you can link up with people, whether they're commercial architects. There's so many different uh, creative people within our company that it's a it's a great place to be. Um, cool. Now for the venue of today, uh, we are in Harlem, New York, on 125th and Park 
at the Corn Exchange Building, which is located uh, 81 East 125th Street. Um, Simon will go into a little bit more, but a quick background, it was originally the Mount Morris Bank Building, uh, built in 1884. Uh, in 1997, unfortunately, a fire destroyed most of the building, but in 2009, a developer sort of saw the beauty and history behind this building and redeveloped it. And that's sort of where we are standing today, which is about 30,000, 37,000, excuse me, square feet of office and um, retail space. And I mean, you know, Simon, you are, you live in Harlem, you sort of know the neighborhood, you know, what about this building creates such opportunity? I mean, there's so much hist history in this city from the financial district all the way up to the Bronx. What, what about this building is sort of unique in its background, I guess? Yeah, um, well, it's, it's, it's worn a lot of hats. There, it's, <laughs> sure. it's, uh, it's been a bank building. It had housing at one point. It's been an office space. It was a church at one point. Wow. Um, it's, it was bulldozed down to the two floors, and it was really just a, a, a shell of its former life. And I think what's really unique is that Harlem is still trying to figure out how much of its past story does it continue to tell right. and how much of the new story is kind of evolving and I think this building is a really really great example of how Harlem is grappling with its own success yeah. of being an, a, a sought after neighborhood so from the exterior we have a building here that's beautifully been recreated uh, close to what the original um, looked like but inside we have a building that is you know brand new um, you could easily find in any other uh, commercial district in Manhattan um, so you kind of have the best of both worlds. And here you're, you're in a neighborhood that's a little bit, um, uh, it's welcoming. People don't walk as fast. They look up from their phones <laughs> right, and right, say hello. Exactly. Yep. Um, but you're also six minutes from Midtown. Right. So we have kind of like this amazing proximity to the rest of Manhattan, um, but it's very uniquely Harlem at the same time. Right, it still sort of has that, that cultural element to it that you mm -hmm. can't really mm -hmm. emulate really anywhere else. I mean, Alex, you've done projects probably from, Soho, Midtown, mm -hmm. really everywhere, and mm -hmm. I mean, a project like this, the neighborhood, the environment, of course, you know, location, proximity to the rest of the city is good, but like, what about this neighborhood, you know, have you sort of seen changes, you've done deals and throughout right, the years, right. yeah. Well, what we've seen is that, you know, office space in well-located, accessible areas, whether it's Soho or whether it's now Hudson Yards, is, it's gotten very expensive. Right. And uh, a lot of companies are looking for ways to be more economic with their occupancy. And what's so special here is that, as Simon said, it's like a new building inside, and it's with the aesthetics of loft space, which is very popular for many creative firms. But here, we can offer a very, very economic rent, and we can deliver a newly built two-suit space. And because this location at 125th and Park is above 96th Street. Any uh, private company or public company, as long as it's not a nonprofit, that relocates here from below 96th Street gets a dramatic incentive of a tax credit of $3,000 per person for 15 years. Wow, that's that is uh, that's I mean that, that's, a, that's that's a selling point. Yeah, so itself. that can mean a dramatic savings in rent over comparable space and we are and we are very you know competitively priced as well so that's an opportunity and of course here not only are we literally across the street or across uh park from the harlem north 125th street station which every train that goes to grand central stops at mm -hmm. we're also one or two blocks from both the east and west side subways from express stops so 
it's incredibly convenient as well for companies. Yeah, location-wise, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't really get much much better. Whereas in some parts of the city, I mean, our office in Midtown, for instance, is not exactly the easiest place to get to. Whereas here, I mean, you have everything at your fingertips, which is uh, which is nice. Um, so I guess sort of taking a step back here, how did you two both kind of get involved in this in this project? I mean, was this something you heard before your time at Compass? Is this when you came here? You guys kind of linked up? Well, I knew about the building. I knew it had different people trying to find tenants for the building. Right. Um, and I was always surprised that nothing really was happening. Mm -hmm. And uh, Simon and I met for the first time. And Simon told me he was looking to do more commercial work. And he wanted to collaborate on commercial assignments. And I asked about the projects he was working on. And one of them was architecturally work on this building. Right. Yeah. So um, the building has been completed for three years, but we there hasn't been a proper tenant mm -hmm. for the for the building. So um, Artemis, the developer, reached out to my design firm and asked us to come in and design a cafe that they're actually going to, uh, they're building right now. It's going to be completed in about three to four weeks. Cool. And they're going to actually operate it themselves. So as we we're talking about the design of the space, trying to come up with a, a design concept or branding concept that is um, not generic, so generic that it's not specific and, and reflective of the building. Find something a little bit resonates well with the building, um, but is accessible enough that other brands could imagine themselves in the space. Yeah. While in the meantime, the developer is going to operate it. So the further we got into that conversation about designing the space and trying to make it both accessible but specific, um, we were asking like, why has anyone rented the rest of the building? Who's right. telling the story of this building? And that's when we met up with Alex and went out and pitched um, the listing and got the whole listing for the building. Yeah. Um, and since then, we've taken the design work that we can do for building on spaces and apply that to the marketing strategy. So new website, new logo for the building, yeah. uh, renderings of possible fit-outs because the developer is also a builder, uh, can do the you know really great tenant improvement package. Um, it just all made sense to kind of put our, our reflective, you know, our, our specific um, skill sets together. Yeah. and create a different value proposition that developers don't typically get from a single team. Right. And I mean, you made one really interesting point, which was telling the story of the yeah. of the project. Yeah. You know, I mean, Alex, you probably know better this. Like, traditionally, I feel like commercial is very, okay, do you like the space? Yes, right, no. Right. We can put the carpet down. You can put a couple desks there. Whereas right. now, you know, in a world where there's the WeWorks, there's Hudson exactly. Yards popping up and designing exactly. all these crazy spaces you know, you really do have to tell a story to get a tenant to come into a space and really envision it, whether they're a tech startup or, you know, some other big corporation, right. you need to have that. You know, what about telling the story, you know, the history behind it, you know, it's how, how important is that? I think it's really important. It's, it's about history and it's about location and that's what uh, makes um, the building, you know, really unique. And I think as Simon pointed out, you know, Harlem is going through a lot of change mm -hmm. and I think a lot of opportunity. Um, one of the kind of categories of potential companies that we're targeting to come here are um, there's been an explosion in the diversity marketplace. Mm -hmm. So the largest companies, whether it's Google or Facebook or Apple, they're all working with companies that target diverse Consumers, right? And you know that can be from advertising, marketing, product development. So we are targeting those types of companies who can understand the importance of being in this diverse urban setting, as right. opposed to kind of the forty you know, second uniformity Street, right? of Forty Second Street right, right. and Sixth Avenue. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so that's you know that's 
they, when they want to be with the big corporate players, they go to Google's offices, they go to right, Facebook's right. offices, but when they want to kind of be in the neighborhood, in the community, we think this building presents that opportunity for them to have their offices here. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, just from the outside of the building, you know, it, it has a gorgeous, you know, facade to it and mm -hmm. build out. But then when you kind of come in here, it's, uh, you know, almost a, a blank canvas. You can really take a tenant and say, look, we can, you know, to an extent, of course, build out how you kind of want to, what, what it wants to be. Right. And I think that's what, you know, Simon brings a lot to the table with your company co-office. Um, I mean, you, I'll let you kind of give the background, but like I said in the beginning, VR, architecture, how, how have you kind of brought that into this project? Yeah, so it's been really interesting. Um, we're at a really interesting time in history where we have all these tools. We're automating a lot of things. There's a lot of machine learning. There's a lot of analytical processes that are um, decreasing the labor cost to produce things in the world. Mm -hmm. And for us, um, in, in architecture specifically, we went from AutoCAD to we call, call it building information modeling now, where we everything is quantifiable. Mm -hmm. um, we have uh, all this technology to make things more efficient analytically, but at the end of the day, like people are still narrative-driven or story-driven people, right. mm -hmm. emotionally-driven people, and we have to be able to create good stories. So for us, we feel like the technology's been lacking with tools for our clientele specifically in mind. Um, so when we started our firm five years ago, um, we took all of the great technology that's available to practitioners, right. but we added to that by using virtual reality. So, you know, it, it's, it'd be crazy for you to go to a car dealership, let's say, mm -hmm. and talk to the car dealer and say, hey, I'd like a car. And they're like, okay, great, come back in a year and we'll show you what it's going to look like. We don't know what it's yeah. going to look like, right? Yep. You go to a car dealer and you go for a test drive and you feel it and you say, do I like this? Do I want this? And then you go and buy it. So with virtual reality, we're able to actually 3D model a space and immersively um, allow our clients to interact with that space. And we learn a lot as designers because we don't make the mistakes of building it first right. and seeing if people will come. Yeah. We kind of get people inside of our models, let them experience it, give us feedback, design it better, and then we build things that people actually want. Right. Because we've been learning from their perspective, not just from our own. Right. And when you and I initially met, you gave me a great example. You are like, historically, people would just say, okay, here's floor plan A, floor plan B. Which one do you want? Yeah. Like you said, come back in six months. We'll show you what floor plan right. A looks like tricked yeah. out. We don't live right. in floor plan. That's, we don't live two-dimensionally. Two <laughs> right, exactly. exactly. We don't live two-dimensionally. It's, yeah. it's been awesome because our clients then are using our tools with virtual reality. Right. And we've had um, a food and beverage client who had a hard time getting his bank loan for a restaurant concept but he went in on the second try with our VR images and the mortgage broker is like that's amazing mm -hmm. I want our bank should invest in this right we've gone to community boards and landmark preservations and had you know the old ladies up on the stage who are looking at these floor plans and not sure and then we show them virtual reality um, this bifolding we had for a, an ice cream parlor this bifolding uh, storefront but it had to be approved and the reason why we wanted that is because we wanted interaction between the stoop culture of Harlem and the interaction of the, uh, our clientele inside the ice cream parlor and we, but we had to convince them and we convinced them because of the emotional story we told through virtual reality. Right yeah and I mean it's you know that's sort of pivotal in sort of getting these projects approved and you know one and also getting the clients excited about yes. it. You know, they yeah. can walk in here and yeah. it, it's just blank and they want to say, create a cafe for instance, but yeah. when they put the goggles on, they can envision, here's the takeaway counter, here's where the espresso yeah. machines are, the kitchen. I mean, 
when you're pitching commercial tenants, how, how oh, I think it's going to be it's going to be so important. I mean, Simon and his team did tremendously captivating renderings right. of what you know build out, whether it's the cafe or office floors. But when people really um, want to modify the, the test, you know, fits and understand what their office is going to feel like, mm -hmm. we can offer that mm -hmm. because of their. Uh, the tools that are available yeah and we can really show them that and also it's really helpful especially for the tech industry because there's always a growth management problem yeah. right yeah. Uh, we've gone through a couple of uh, expansions with one company in particular that started off with four people and went to 16 they're 25 and they're anticipating 40 by the end of the year mm -hmm. and then we're eventually gonna have to find them another space because yeah. we can't expand anymore right and what's been really great about VR is that when you're doing a test fit and you're showing okay here's a test fit for 30 desks versus growing into 50, Interesting. that's going to feel spatially yeah. very different that, again, you can't really get in a floor plan. It's more than numbers. You have to, like, you know, do you yeah. want to be so close to your other colleague or do you need to be thinking ahead to the next space you need to move to? Right. So, uh, they, so they, in a sense, can sort of sit there and be like, okay, I'm sitting here at my desk. Yeah. Yeah. And if we have 60 employees versus 30 and I go back, I'm bumping into somebody. Or, right. or this oh, yeah. isn't really going to yeah. work out. Yeah. You can't they, feel it on the plan. You can't yeah. feel it on the plan and... You can't feel it on the plan, and also the, the problem is that it's it's hard to visualize how complex it is yeah. to manage an office um, by looking at a floor plan, you know, before you lease a space. Totally. You don't you don't know where your company's growth is going to go. Yeah. So if you can visualize more, kind of feel it. Yeah. Right. You're getting the analytical, like the headcount. Right. Very specific numbers, but yeah. you're also getting in that feeling that's going to say, okay, I can imagine what it's going to be like for my employees. A year from now, when right. we're crammed into the space, I got to think ahead. And as brokers, that helps us also mm -hmm. guide and nudge the conversation maybe six months from now yeah. to say, okay, let's go ahead and start looking for your next space. Because they're not feeling that yet. They're not feeling the pressure and the need to move right. until they're actually seeing it and visualizing it and feeling it right. through the yeah. virtual reality. And just to like make a comparison to like WeWork or the other co-working, sure. you know, everyone is very focused when you rent an office floor on the square footage and the price per square foot right. and also obviously how many people will be contained in that space. Well, we work, they don't tell you the per square foot. They don't tell you the square footage. They don't tell you the price per square footage. Right. And they don't really want you to know how big or small the spaces you're getting. Yeah. It's just that we're going to give you, you need 50 seats, we're going to give you 50 seats. Reality, in many uh -huh. cases, those 50 people are going to be kind of crammed in small, yeah. relatively small rooms. Yeah. Of course, a lot of those people are spending maybe 20, 25 percent of their time at their, at their desk. Right. But it's really about we work and co-working is about maximizing the revenue yeah. out of these floors, out of these spaces, and not really thinking about all the things that Simon mm -hmm. spoke of, which is the physical experience and what it was really like. Right. And especially when you're space. working with startups like you initially mentioned, like you're not just thinking like, okay, uh, let's just get this deal and kind of clear the check. You're thinking, okay, you will, you guys are expanding. Business is really yeah. booming for you guys. You have investors coming in. Right. Right. Don't think about it as just this one space, but let's think about it once you guys double your employee force right. or right. you're going to need more production space or whatever it is. Right. So it's almost not just the greedy side of, you know, let's get the deal done, but it's even if it's even more than that, which is that value add in this new age of, I, I think we're moving towards an interesting uh, development in just organizations and businesses in general. Right. I mean, I think Compass, I don't know, maybe Com I'm not sure if Robert Rufkin would say this, but like Compass, I think, has the aspirations of being an Amazon. 
right. when it comes to yeah. being a platform. And I think, you know, when we mentioned WeWork already, that's a platform. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of companies that are being developed that think about space as a product and as a platform for growth. Right. And it's that thinking that's really important because traditionally you would have gone to your real estate broker, your lawyer, your architect, your, you know, all these different professional silos. Right. And so you're getting these different levels of service from each professional, but you're not having anyone think cohesively about it. Yeah. And I think the companies that were are currently growing now, and we already see this with an example like Amazon, mm -hmm. are thinking much more broadly, logistically, and yeah. platform-based to capture all the value, of the, the whole value chain in someone's thinking from start to finish. And I think as architects, we had to move into real estate. I think real estate brokers should move into architecture. Right, we should all be working definitely. towards a seamless process for our clientele. Well, it's that collaboration that Alex was saying right. that's, yeah. that's so valuable. You know, yeah. it's so many times you have a client, like you're saying, you have to bring them to 10 different people, whereas now you can sort of kind of do it all in one, in one yeah. space. And, and I have to say, you know, I've worked with so many tenants who bring in the architects so late in the game. I mean, yeah. they've already gone through the process of selecting site. And I always encourage them, you know, have a pro space program done. Maybe we shouldn't just rely on the landlord to do test fits. Maybe we should do in a kind of analysis of what type of spatial organization is going to work best for you and your needs. And let's think about not just what what you have today, right. but you know, if you're making a five or 10 year commitment, yeah. what you're really gonna need in the future. And it's so important to integrate, as Simon said, all the disciplines in the process and to think about space, not just as a warehouse for your people, but like the space could be the engine for growth, the engine for creativity. Right. That's what you know, the leading technology firms see their campuses yeah. as being about, right. like really being about much more than just the place where the people go from nine to five. Right. So that's yeah. It's much more than uh, what kind of price per square foot you're getting. It's a whole you know just level of consulting you know from start start to finish. Yeah. Um, yeah that I mean it's, it's it's such a big change. Now coming back to this building and some news that's kind of come out of the commercial world recently. You know, this is an old building or has history to it. I guess a landmark you know? building. A yeah. landmark building. Right. Exactly. Um, you know, how do you guys sort of see these? landmark buildings competing in these spaces where, you know, Hudson Yards just popped up out of the ground out of nowhere, you know, the Chrysler building, that, that just sold, you know, I mean, how do you see buildings like this, like the Chrysler building, these older buildings competing in this new kind of space? Well, there's, there's, there's different types of needs and different types of demand. Obviously, the reason, one of the reasons that Hudson Yards has been very popular is that, you know, the large, say, large financial company that needs a large trading floor um, and wants to have the best infrastructure, the best power, good light, good views, their options are limited because so little new office buildings were built for many years in New York. Right. That's a different type of demand. We know that for technology, smaller technology, creative firms, um, service firms, uh, there's a lot of demand for interesting space. That's right. why, you know, Chelsea Market is probably, which now Google has taken over, right, sure. which has probably been like the most perceived as the most attractive environment, even though it's very old, even though it's a landmark. Yeah. It has that combination of very cool architecture, of lots of services, of lots of retail and amenities that really differentiates it from a typical class A, you know, trophy office building, which would be almost all office and then maybe you have a lobby and a newsstand. Right, right, you know? exactly. 
so it's a different, you know, different kind of environment. And then I think, you know, when you are in a real neighborhood mm. that has character, that can be a draw for a lot of companies as well because it's you know it's about your people feeling part of a neighborhood wanting to be there right you have the restaurants you have the cultural you know amenities mm -hmm. and benefits of Harlem and I think that's a separate kind of I think that channels um, the demand that's different from what a company going to six 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 Avenue of the Americas or right. Uh, uh, Hudson Yards would be looking for right. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I think it's um, the way to reposition older office buildings is to think a lot about the shared amenities right. and to think beyond the marble lobby, the right. glorified lobby that's utterly useless. useless. Yeah. It's, it's just yeah. a glorified circulation space. Right. But there should be a coffee shop there. There should be a lounge. People should be always coming down and meeting in that space mm -hmm. rather than you just kind of pass through it as quickly as possible. And it's a grand statement. Yeah. I think. Younger companies are not thinking in such terms of, of marble and right, walnut, right, you know, yeah. and, and they're thinking in terms of amenity. Um, bike room. Bike room, room coffee, yeah. like maybe an on-site gym. Yeah. I'm a parent, so I always think about, like, I don't know why they're not, there aren't more daycares in this city. Like, yeah. Just places right. where, like, I can have proximity to bring my child close to where I, I go to work and pick up and go home and, right. and, and make things a little bit more accessibility. I think... Uh, millennial generation as well we're not going to move back to the suburbs and so we're going to want the conveniences that supposedly the suburbs used to provide right. um, so I think convenience is really important to amenities and uh, landlords developers are going to have to think in those terms you can't just think about every rentable square foot you have, you have to think more like we work you have to think like a platform right. and you're really mm -hmm. selling membership into a building interesting right. you're selling membership into an experience yeah. not just a desk price right it's, uh, it's that convenience and community where like yeah. it, even in a space like this like Alex walked me through the cafe that you guys are building now yeah. you know you can be in a, an office space here on the fifth floor and then you know be like oh we'll, we'll take this meeting down to the cafe mm -hmm. and right. Exactly. And, we have, and we have a roof deck. And you have the roof so deck. If exactly. it's a nice day, you can take the meeting to the roof deck and enjoy that, which you don't get that opportunity in a t traditional Class A office tower. Yeah, exactly. And you sort of see, I mean, even on the residential side, you see a lot of buildings that are changing, and they have everything from the office space, you know, work from home space, the gyms, the daycare, playrooms, you know, there are a lot of, they're changing to sort of fit with the needs of this new uh, generation of buyers, people, you know, just people in general. Yeah. Um, so that's, I mean, that's exciting. And I feel like what you guys are doing here is going to just be, you know, even more exciting. Do you have, sort of have any, you know, expected dates for completion? I know you're saying the cafe will be done in like three to About four weeks. About, About a month. About a month. Yeah. That's yeah. exciting. Yeah. Um, and then you're just sort of waiting to kind of get those tenants in to sort of help them build out that space. Yeah, we've yeah. been touring different types of tenants, um, nonprofit, um, production, uh, creative tenants. So we're just really... Um, focused on leasing up the building and yeah. creating a great environment uh, for the tenants to experience. Right. Um, well, guys, you know, I always like to sort of end these episodes with just kind of a little bit of, of, of advice, you know, sort of input that people can people can give. You know, it, as there's people that are maybe sitting in their uh, Columbia Architecture School or, you know, whatever they may be doing and they sort of want to aspire to kind of be those designing this skyline of our uh, of this lovely city, you know, how do you, what sort of bit of advice would you kind of give someone or, or, or yourself if you were looking back and you're there sitting in the, the college classroom sort of figuring out, okay, I want to get into the commercial space, but you know, it's not just your traditional commercial space, or I want to be in design, you know, how is it, what would you yeah. sort of so, advice? 
I went through seven years of school right. between an undergrad and, and uh, grad grad school. Um, I didn't have one business class, hmm. not one. And so my biggest advice to any young architect or one of the architects or any, anyone who's a creative in general is uh, to understand there's a business to all of this mm-hmm. and uh, to seek out advice around how to how to grow a business. Right. Um, I think it really, I mean, one of the aspects of why I got into real estate is because it troubled me that architects typically get, um, they typically charge on a percentage of construction cost. Right. And then uh, our broker colleagues come in and uh, <laughs> with very limited risk or liability right. to what's been made are able to then uh, get a percentage of the market value of sure. the thing that's been produced. Right. And that think about how much the developers are getting. And then, yeah, yeah. Right. And so um, I mean, right now we're actively uh, pursuing our first at-risk equity position in a development project, right. and I think that's the direction Ar- architects need to get back into the skin of the game. We take on so much liability. What's a little bit more? I mean, right. Just right. you know, get a little bit more involved and understand that um, uh, good design is good business. Right. You know, designing that cafe downstairs, we believe adamantly is going to be a good value add to this building right. and it's going to bring in those other tenants right um so value you know just value what you make yeah exactly and go where the value is right yeah. So, yeah i mean the advice i'd give is really you have to be very adaptable to change sure and, and you know every business including commercial real estate has been completely transformed by technology when i started I don't want to say how long ago. Um, you know, we didn't have cell phones. Yeah. Okay. We didn't even have pagers, I think. And I, you know, I'm always about 25, 35% of my time is spent touring tenants around or touring buildings to tenants and right. their brokers. And without phones, I don't even remember how we did it. Yeah. I don't know how it was possible when a tour got delayed, we got held up in traffic, how we managed to do yeah. business. Yeah. And now, not only, obviously, we incorporate technology into whatever we do, but there's so much change and disruption going on that you have to be very open to looking at things in a new way, looking at new ways to reach clients or new ways to attract clients or just establishing yourself not just as a very narrow, specific type of service provider, but I think being very aware of the larger picture so, like, I also, you know, when I work with retail tenants and, you know, they sometimes get into this, like, what's the traffic count? How many people are going by this location? Yeah. And I'm like, there's so much more to location than traffic. Yeah. There's how visible is your storefront? How right. visible is the signage? Who are the co-tenancies right. next door? Why are they there? Yeah. You know, you can, if, if you have an amazing brand, I use the example of Canada Goose, which, like, Originally, it was just all wholesale, mm-hmm. and the brand went crazy, and they didn't even have a store. Yeah. And then when they opened their first store, they really they opened it in Soho, on Wooster. They could have opened it anywhere, right. and almost immediately had a line around the block right. because of that cachet and what they had done in promoting that brand, and then, then expanding that into retail. Right. So it's so much more than price per square foot right. and you know traffic count. Yeah. There's so much more to real estate, and I encourage people who want to get involved to like have like a broader perspective and a broader outlook, and also obviously be very open to right. change. Exactly, it's it's it stems back to sort of not just 
knowing the, how to close the deal, but you know, knowing how to visualize the space, you know, like like with, with guys like Simon and kind of doing that sort of collaboration and finding unique ways to really, um, you know, make a space kind of come to life. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much. I do appreciate your time for today. I'll, I'll provide all the information around uh, the Corn Exchange. If you guys want to reach out to Alex or Simon, I'll provide all that in the bio of this um, episode. So thanks, guys. I do appreciate it. Hey, everyone. Max again. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I really hope you liked it. A couple quick things, though, before you go. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and share. My goal here is to get you guys interested in real estate, engaged, and also teach you a little bit, maybe something that you didn't know. So please subscribe, share, send it to colleagues, friends, family, whoever. My goal is to deliver at least one episode a month, hopefully more. Um, So your support is much appreciated here. Number two, if you want to receive the newsletter that I do each month, Max's Minute, please subscribe. I have the link in the bottom of the the bio, or you can email me at maxwell.crowley at compass.com. I blast out the newsletter at the first of every month. It has a little bit about real estate, some interesting facts, you know, whether it's New York based, globally. I'll always feature a couple listings from across the country from fellow Compass agents. And then I also include a little contemplation, you know, little interesting facts that I've come across during my time in real estate, things that might be able to help you. So if you're interested and you want to get that, please reach out. Thank you guys again, and I'll see you next time.